Welcome to Faith and Fable, pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. Try one million. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry. And we're doing it again. And yeah, we just keep doing this. Apparently, we need to be edified or built up in some way because uh, we are trying hard to tape these things and our SD cards are not being recorded too. So nothing like getting to the end of a podcast and you pop it out and you realize there's nothing on the card. So, with that, we're going to do this all over again, even though we literally just did this. Um, we're having a spiritual... Oh, golly. <laughs> now I've got an attitude. <laughs> all right. So, we got an episode today on spiritual motivation. Uh, we've done a few of these, and we have more to do. Uh, in fact, I'm currently working on one I'm having fun with on the spiritual motivator of remembering, things we have to remember. Um, but right now, it's going to be on edification. Uh what are the ways the Bible shows us as motivations for our spiritual well-being? That's the point. What and and so, one of the common parts of being a pastor we find is learning how others who we know and for whom we care now wander away from the faith. It, this is something that fascinates us, breaks our heart. It's the fancy word apostasy, and it's actually a lot more common than people think. What made them not stay the stay the course. I mean, theologically, we can say, well, they're not the elect or something like that. But that doesn't answer the question for us. We, we uh, not, not in the practical realm. We, it's like, what happened? Stuff happened. Um, and so at some point, we're going to actually work through the idea of sanctification uh, in a more formal manner. Uh, uh, sanctification is just another fancy word that is in reference to you growing into the conformity of Jesus Christ and, and in godliness. Now, there's a lot of really bad thinking in the church today about that subject, and it ends up creating problems for the health of individuals and the church itself. But in all honesty, these episodes are simply applications regarding that doctrine of sanctification. These are simple, practical tips on how do you maintain a stable, consistent spiritual growth in your life. So we think they're, they're useful to you, hence we're doing them over and over and over again. Anyhow, um, today, what we're going to talk about is the relationship between building up others and your own spiritual growth. The fancy term is edification, and that's what the Bible will use to refer to when we speak of building up others. Now, it's not kind of an affirmation technique like you see in team building retreats and such, nor is it some sort of self-esteem concept where you want to help a person feel better about themselves. And that's important that you grasp that. We're, we're not saying, hey, we're just going to borrow a worldly technique and concept and then Christianize it. Um, we're going to deal with a very biblical concept. It's actually the idea of helping others put away sin and folly and learn to grow into actual, now that's the key word there, actual maturity in Christ, meaning they become established and settled in their trust and hope in Christ. They're not going to be easily led astray with new ideas. They're not given to fear and anxiety that take control over them and things like that. 
Now, this actually can be very, very painful for people and unpleasant, but it's actually what biblical edification looks like. So we're going to give some thoughts on how learning to build up others is actually a way to motivate your own growth uh, as a Christian. And that may sound self-serving, but that, that's not to say that it's somehow wrong. Uh, in fact, the Bible is replete with the idea of reward. And uh, of course, most certainly on the day of judgment, we'll be rewarded. Have, uh, we, have we done reward? I don't think we have. Yeah, that's probably going to be in the eschatology part. So Yeah. Um, so the Bible talks a lot about reward, but it will also even talk about suffering loss uh, in that final time um, in relation specifically as to what we did or didn't do. Uh, and most certainly that applies to how we treat others. So if the second greatest commandment is to love others as you do yourself, then you are simply building reward as you learn to love others. Because you're obeying the second greatest commandment. Exactly. So so we would say don't screw that up and then getting yourself <laughs> into knots because you feel somehow that you're sinning if you have motives for yourself uh, when you serve and you help others. Uh, false humility is also... Um, a great problem. It's it's pride um, disguised. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, enough said. Yeah. So so building up others to build up yourself. So understand that when you practice the art of edification, you're doing two works at the same time. The first is you are building up another in Christ. You're helping them to put off sin. Uh, you're helping them to learn to put on Christ. You're helping them to grow in the grace and the knowledge of their Lord. Jesus um, would simply call that disciple-making. But you're also in that process building up yourself. To properly serve others in edification requires that you learn to die to your own self, your own self-centeredness, and then to grow as well. In fact, we would say that helping another grow in Christ is the simplest and most effective way for you to mature as well. Certainly been my experience, even just in yeah. uh, pastoring. Actually, that. I think that's one of the hidden blessings in being a pastor is, you know, you're, you, you, there are times you're actually rebuking or reminding yourself what is good, right, and true <laughs> as you're telling yeah. some who thought that this would be a really good way to handle my wife or talk to my son or whatever, and and you're urging them, and and then you, you know, I how many times over the years I have to go home and seek forgiveness of one of my children or my wife just because yeah. I gave really godly counsel to somebody that I did not follow earlier that day, and it's like, wow, I'm just rebuked, but that's it's it's a blessing. Well, especially in that process of studying and writing a sermon. Oh, that's brutal. I mean. Mo on, on Sunday mornings, especially if the the nature of the text is one of uh, a, you know a hard admonishment or correction or rebuke, and so if you're going to be faithful, you got to preach it as such, and people feel like you know maybe you're just beating on them from high and mighty, but it's like you you sat for many hours that week first doing that in your own life, yeah, and you're pretty well beat down by the time you get, <laughs> you get to Sunday if you're faithful in your studies. And letting the text read your life as well. Um, so let's get into some specific ways that you can help build people up or edify others. The first way is to build up others um, by fostering a love, righteousness, joy, and peace. And we use those words particularly because of a text coming up here. But the point is that these types of qualities should be present in a consistent way in your life uh, as you're dealing with others. Did you just say qualities? Qualities. 
That's that's is that relative to the koala bear or whatever the dumb animal in Australia is? Quality, not koala. The koala. <laughs> I'm just trying to build you up, bro. I am who I am. Uh, yes, that's true. Uh, so so yeah, let me read Romans it. 14, yeah, 13 okay. through 20. <laughs> so here's the qualities. Um, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, you say judgmentally. Um, all right, let me start over. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if... Because of food, your brother is hurt. You are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we pursue the things which make up or make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Now, the problem here, if you, uh, if you know Romans, is issues between Jews and Gentiles, uh, believe, Jew and Gentile believers uh, in the Church of Rome. Uh, some are eating things that others would see as bad, and as the result, it's creating a great amount of strife within this church. And what is really happening is that both sides were very busy judging one another. Uh, and so verse 1, Paul gives a command. He says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of judgment on his opinions. So faith here in this context refers not to saving faith, but it's actually one step beyond that. It's here speaking of the way that your faith now operates in your own life. So we are to pursue a life that lives by faith. And so it is speaking of their individual outworking of their faith as it relates to their own convictions of what is good uh, and right. So essentially in this chapter, he is saying the same thing to both groups, uh, to those who are strong uh, they are not to have contempt for those who are weak, and those who are weak, they are not to judge those who are strong. All right, but it's not actually about food or drink, nor is it about getting along or not hurting the feelings of others or offending their sense of right and wrong. It's not even about freedom and rights. It's about true Christian love, actually. So verse 15 says, if you harm your brother, then you're not walking according to love. And that theme flows all through the chapters of chapters 12 to the end of the book. So you see it in uh, chapter 12, verse 9, saying that love is to be without any hypocrisy, is to be sincere. Uh, 13.8 says that we are to owe no one anything but love. In 14, verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. What's interesting is he's actually giving two forms of judging here. One he condemns and one he commends. The first, which he condemns, is to not judge the heart and motives of other believers with regard to freedom in Christ. So he says, get your eyes off of each other because it's so destructive. It opens a way to gossip and slander and feeds bitterness and pride. 
But the second that he commends is to judge yourself as to whether there is any chance you are bringing an obstacle or scandal into a brother's way. So notice that Paul does not put an obstacle or stumbling block in your brother's way. In verse 15, he uses the term destroy. In verse 20, it's to tear down. And in 21, it's to stumble. Those are all three very serious terms that are not just kind of hurting their feelings. It's You're literally destroying a man's faith. And, and that is not something you take lightly. Yeah. Uh, now, Paul knows, and so do many in Rome, that nothing is unclean in itself, um, but it becomes unclean when it's coupled with unclean thinking. So we are not talking about things that the Bible overtly calls sin. Rather, we're talking about those things that are simply part of this creation. Um, if, if you can't partake of something like that without gratitude, then what Paul is saying is that you now make it unclean for yourself. Uh, quick example, a uh, common one is your, your position on drinking alcohol. Um, for some, it's clean. For others, it's unclean. And if you think it's unclean and you partake of it, it's now unclean for you. But but also in our modern current day situation in our country, um, how many times have you seen people talking about um, if we're not pursuing reparations, the whole critical race CRT, you're not loving your brother, or if you're not getting vaccinated, you're not loving your brother, or if you're, you are wearing a mask or you're not wearing a mask, these are all things where the pulpit is up making strong opinions on, right? Um, and but they're beyond the scope of what they ought to be able to. But they're judging the motives so that I am now guilty of a grievous sin, that the second greatest commandment, because I'm saying no to this, or I, I don't, I don't agree with reparations or whatever might be the issue of the day. Yeah. Um. In fact, if you if you find that you have to push others to partake of something that you're able to do or that you think should be happening, uh, you make it unclean. Uh, and that, I mean, something like the vaccinations and a perfect example of that. Um, so this can be done by making references to it with a mocking tone uh, or always bringing it up in conversation, or I would say just passively posting things constantly on Facebook. Oh, golly. <laughs> um, so, uh, that, you know, yeah. So the, the manner in which you go about it also it comes to bear on this. Perhaps you love to quote verses at them, um, to press them to stop being so uptight, but in doing that, what you're doing is you're, you're risk, you're risking destroying them. Paul says in 14, chapter 14, verse 15 of Romans, for if because of food, your brother is hurt, you're no longer walking according to love. So do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. So notice how Paul reminds us that this is a person for whom Christ died. That's a, a brother or a sister, a very precious person in the eyes of our Lord. So understand that what you're doing actually is you're messing with souls and no one has that right. You're not living according to the ideals of the kingdom. Rather, when you do that, you're living more in line with the thinking of this age. Now, if you're strong in your faith, uh, it is good and it's right for you to patiently help a weaker brother to think through their mindset on a particular issue. Um, 
but it, but it's not for you to push them or mock them or force them to violate what they see as sin. Right. So Paul is not saying it's good to remain in a state of weakness in faith. Right. That's not his point. It's but you're going to show honor and grace and love to that brother as they're weak. So you may come alongside them and help them grow in their faith, but you're not pushing them so that they violate that conscience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, but it's important for us to because it's like we got to fix it. You you say, I, you know, I don't drink alcohol, and another guy's got a thing of whiskey, and he's like, what? And he starts quoting verse after verse. Oh, just have a little bit. It's no, and it's like, dude, cut the young the, the man slack. And yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we said yeah there like five times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> right. So we're we're not. Done. Um, we're not talking about uh, mere preferences, um, but these are things that are perceived as being sin uh, in a person's thinking. So, so we need to help them to grow in that faith, all the while honoring them and their conviction because they do what they do by way of honoring their Lord. Um, and in doing that, you'll find that it's hard and it requires you to grow as a Christian yourself as you are seeking to build them up, you're going to find that you yourself, again, are being built up in your own personal faith. All right, so let's give you another way then you can build up, uh, and that is through the use of your giftedness. So in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about earnestly desiring the gifts of the Spirit, but actually behind and through all of it is so that you can build up others. So just listen to this. In verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. In verse 5, tongues have to be interpreted so that the church may be edified. In verse 12, be zealous for gifts, but only so that they will edify the church. Paul, he says in verse 19, would rather speak only a few words of prophecy than thousands in another language, we would call that tongues, so that he would instruct others. In other words, it's all about how your gift is helping others. Gifts are given by God to the church to build each other up. No one, therefore, has all the gifts because it's not about us. Those who teach should teach, but not to show off themselves, but to help others. Uh, those who show mercy should show it to any and all believers so that you can aid them in being encouraged in the Lord. So to properly use your gifts requires you to die to your own desires. Your giftedness is does not make you feel a certain way, or that does, that's not why you're gifted. It, it's to help everyone else. But here's the weird thing, that in doing that, you end up growing yourself because you're growing into the likeness of your Lord who emptied himself and took on the flesh for our well-being. Yeah. And, and a final uh, idea here then is to, is to be actively now looking to serve others. Uh, and the key word there is actively. First uh, Peter 5.5 5 says to everyone in the church, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The imagery here is that of a slave tying on his apron. Uh, it is putting on the uniform of the one whose purpose and calling is to serve, not to be served. Uh, and we would say that that is a great sin for many in the church today. You call uh, it just that consumeristic mindset, right? Yeah. Yep. Consumerism. Yeah. You, you don't come to minister, rather you're coming to be filled, uh, but so that you can then leave. And you preached a good sermon on this one time, in which you gave an illustration of this. 
um, that yeah. when, when you, I mean, you can explain it, but like when you get out of the car, what are you imagining? Yeah, I literally, and I still do it to this day, picture myself putting on an apron. And it came out of the imagery of working as a general manager for a French uh, restaurant and bakery. And so when you went into work, the first thing you did is went in the back room, grabbed the apron and put it on. And I would be tying it on as I came out front to help uh, serve. And so I literally feel that it, I'm, I'm like replaying that every time I get out of the car at church, I'm kind of like mentally fumbling with my fingers to tie that knot uh, of the, the apron so that I can go to work. But it was just a symbol. I mean, the, anyone coming to that restaurant would know that I worked there because I was wearing the apron. So they knew they could ask, hey, could I get a refill or, hey, something wrong or whatever, and I would serve them. Um, and it has helped me because we were joking in the previous uh, recording that never was recorded how, you know, you're— you're, we're as pastors. We struggle. Uh, we're, we're normal. We're human, and so we can have as bad a time getting out of the house to go to church as everyone else. And we can be at odds with our wife. We can be at odds with our children. We can just get that unhelpful email or text from somebody at the last moment, and you're like, ah, and it settles into your heart. But if you go to church and you make that your mental practice. Um, it's amazing how that changes your mindset as you walk into the church. You're now looking not for where's the coffee and, and oh, man, that guy didn't look at me, but you're looking at how can I serve? How, where, where are people in need? Right. And, uh, and so it it's radically not about, it's not changes. about you yep. at all. And right. boy, can you imagine if your entire church on any given Sunday was trying to outdo one another yeah. in serving? We see a helpful illustration of that in real life every time we go to Ethiopia. Because uh, here waiters and waitresses, they're just, sometimes it's like they're annoyed you're there. Yeah. And it's like you're just an afterthought. They, you know, obviously there's good ones out there, but you, everyone knows what I'm talking about. What, you never experience that in Ethiopia. No, they're all hungry. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, but they, they all have on their aprons, but they're literally like lining the wall and walking around constantly and actively looking for who needs help. And so what you snap your fingers, right? Yep. And they, they come on over and they'll, they'll fumble over each other to get there sometimes because there's so many actively looking for how they can serve you. Very attentive. And I always think it's just a great uh, model of what Christians should be doing within the church. They should Wait. be actively rushing to I'll, get there to help. I'll care out, call out a guy. Um, Brian from your church. Um, I think him and his wife Jackie portray that spirit. They are phenomenal models. They're freaky that. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really a pleasure. They I, usually beat me to church. And but but we had our celebration service, and it was a big service. We had five hundred, maybe more there, and. We're making it up as we're going. We're making changes. And so things had to be done. It was so nice because I needed somebody to do something. And I just looked at Brian. I'm like, Brian, I need you. And there's not a question of what? Well, hey, uh, uh, it was, he just came over. What do you need? And then what was so nice was I was able to ask him to do it. And then it was checked off in my brain. He, he was so faithful in it. Yeah. But it was that spirit. And you got other people and they come up with all the excuses of, ah, and well, and, and, and they're not there to serve. And, right. Yeah, yeah. Those people are. I mean, people like that are they're tremendous they're blessing treasures. to the church. Um, I'm always happy when I find out 
someone in the church, unbeknownst to me, has been serving behind the scenes in some small way that nobody wants to do. Nobody's like eager to sign up for it. And they're just happily doing it. And they've been doing it for a long time. And I'm like, are you serious? I, I had no idea. And every week they're just faithfully yep. doing it. In a small way on that one, even today I saw that. I uh, I was going to get coffee, but I needed to empty my my trash and take it out to the dumpster. So I had the thing. I just set it on the carpet so I could run downstairs and get the coffee going. And when I came up, the garbage was gone. And I'm like, oh. and at first I thought, who's thinking this is funny? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm busy. <laughs> and then I look out the window and Mike Strickland yeah. um, is taking out the trash from him. Like, thanks. He's like, you didn't need to do that. I was happy to. But he genuinely was just happy to, he saw something and served. Yeah. It's, yep. it, it is encouraging. Anyhow, back to the script. Yeah. So we would say every person from the leadership down to the newest believer should be actively putting on that slave's apron every time that they're around other believers. Um, I would even say unbelievers as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, because what a wonderful testimony. Um, but certainly within the church. So, and as you mentioned, I, th said, I think, think of what would happen if, if that were true of you uh, and this was true of everyone in the church. So some questions for you is to ask yourself, have you done that over the past week or month in your church? I mean, actually see if you can list that or identify that. If you're listening with your spouse or friend, stop for a second and just talk and say, let's let's see if we can do that. You know, where we consciously said, I'm doing this simply because it needs to be done. I'm here to serve. Right. Not it's my day to do Lord's Supper. That's not. I mean that's your duty. Or uh, someone asked me. Yeah. Yeah. But you you saw the need and you stepped in. Yeah. Um does your church right now have a need that you are aware of? that you are, instead of actively choosing to fill it, you're actively choosing not to fill it. Um, in what ways are you withholding yourself from helping others? Can you list examples of ways that you have sought the well-being of others in your church that are not your good friends? Uh, after a service, it's really easy to just find that little group. Um, but what about the person who's in need? Um, a slave is attentive to any need that may arise. And that's the key illustration to keep in mind. He never asks what is convenient or what does he prefer or like. The question is, is what is the need? Um, so how much more then should a child of God? So everything we um, do around other people in the church is either seeking to build them up in the faith or it's hindering them. Uh, you can't make people grow, but you can give them a fertile ground in which they can grow. So with that, we hope this uh, has been of some help to you. Uh, please share it with other, others if you don't mind. We have uh, plenty of other, other episodes in the making right now. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. If you have any questions on this subject of spiritual motivation, uh, send us a message. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, and review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend. Mm -hmm.